My name is Lori Silverbush, and I'm a filmmaker. I'm a fiction filmmaker, and I can write, so I'm able to create product for myself. But the other piece of me is an activist and attracted to issues of social justice, and I'm able to push for it to have impact. I think at the end of the day, those of us who refuse to be silenced, we are always capable as women of creating opportunities for ourselves. Give up, and you're playing right into their hands. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. One of the biggest secrets of successful women is that they often give back. As we prepare to celebrate the holiday season, Morgan Stanley's recent client event, Feeding Your Passions, a Culinary Feast for the Appetite and Soul, featured a conversation between celebrity chef Tom Colicchio and his filmmaker wife, Lori Silverbush. Lori's film, A Place at the Table, focuses on how we can become an important part of the solution to help the 50 million Americans who face food insecurity today. She spoke about how women can become better educated about making a difference and how to find your charitable passion. So, Lori, tell us what inspired you to make a place at the table. Well, the first thing I want to say is that I co-directed a place at the table with a great filmmaker named Christy Jacobson. But what inspired me personally to look into the issue was I was mentoring a little girl who lived in East Harlem in a shelter, and her name was Sabrina, and she routinely went without food, enough food to eat. And I didn't really understand that's what was going on. But I did see that she was having a really hard time staying alert in school. She could fall asleep for hours at a time. Her health was bad. She was frequently sick. She had often had emotional problems. Then I got a call one day from the principal at her school telling me that she was foraging in the trash for food. Now, that was pretty devastating. It turns out she had gone to public school and the breakfast and the lunch that she was served there had been her only meals of the day. But in my, you know, uh, well-intentioned desire to help her, I'd helped her get into a special private school that could help her with her learning issues, but that school did not provide breakfast and lunch, and therefore, here was a kid who was going with no food every day. So, needless to say, it was incredibly upsetting, and we fed her. I sent her home with food. Uh, I made sure that there was food at the school for her, but to be really honest with you, the problem kept coming back, right? It's like, I can send home a bunch of food two days later, she's back in that situation and I got really frustrated because I realized that there was a limit to what I could do on a charitable level and at that point I started to look really critically at all of the hunger charity that Tom and I were doing so Tom as a chef is called upon to cook and to appear at fundraisers for hunger all the time he's happy to do it but you know we go to these fundraisers and it re- I realized that we could raise so much money in a given night people would feel so good but no one ever asked why it never even came up. Why do we even need to do this? We're, we're the wealthiest nation on earth. And when I started to dig into it, I found out we might be the wealthiest nation on earth, but we actually have the largest hunger crisis of any of the IMF industrialized nations on the planet. And that was one of those things, once you know, you can't unknow, right? So I resolved to find out why. Christy came on board, and together, what we learned is in the film. And so what was the main takeaway from what you learned? I'm sure there's a lot in there. But... Well, the main takeaway is that... We have hunger in this country for a shocking reason. We don't have a shortage of food. We don't have a shortage of resources, frankly. And we provide food for most of the world. What we have is politics that get in the way. We actually have a food system that is the envy of the world, but it fails to reach millions and millions of people. 
And what we haven't done is shore up the policies and the programs that make sure everyone can afford it, everyone can reach it, and that the, that the healthiest foods are accessible to everybody and prioritized for our nation's diet. And our food policy in this country is not centered on the wellness of the country and everyone who eats. It's centered on the, the grower side, you know, and helping to keep that, the profit on that side where it needs to be. And that's fine. I actually think that is the role of corporations. They should be worried about the bottom line. That's their job. But I don't think it's the, the role of government to make that their priority. I believe the, the health and wellness of the country as a whole, the policies that can ensure that are should be the priority. So the average woman listening to this saying, like, what do I do about this? This sounds like a huge problem. What do they do? Well, it is a huge problem. But if they're to think of one thing, it's this. Your voice is many, many multiples more powerful than any cans of food you can pull together and drop off at a food pantry. Instead of volunteering three hours on a weekend, take three minutes and make a phone call. And if you need help doing that, you can go to our webpage, which is www.foodisfuel.com. Org, and we'll help point you to exactly, we'll give you scripts, we'll help you, we'll make it. That phone call, I had a representative tell me that if he got six phone calls, he'd change how he votes on things like this because he assumed thousands of people feel the same thing in his district who haven't called. That alone can do more than all of the kind of feel-good charity that we're kind of conditioned to think we should do. And we actually, our voices matter a lot in this. And I've spoken to members of Congress and said, well, why aren't you focusing on this? Why are you letting seven 17 million, sorry, now the number's gone down a little, 13 million children go hungry in this country. They say, well, you know what, I'm not hearing from people that they care about this. So trust me when I say that your voice matters on this. Come to our website or, you know, Google it. You will find out how to reach out to a representative. And you don't need to know very much. Say, I understand we have a huge problem with hunger in this country. I want you to know that it matters to me. I will vote based upon how you're handling it. It's your job. Oh, There's so many worthy causes out there. I'm wondering how women can figure out what their passion is in terms of all the different issues out there. Do you have any tips for that? Well, I think it's a really good question. And I think people have to follow their inner compass always. But I'll tell you this, hunger and food touches all of them. So if your issue is education and you really care about kids' education, kids cannot learn when they're hungry. They just can't. That's a fact. If your issue is security, national security, we have a shockingly low number of recruits showing up with prepared and, and physically capable of fighting because of poor nutrition throughout their lives. If your issue is health care, we have a massive problem with obesity in this country, a hugely expensive problem, because uh, preventable type 2 diabetes from obesity. Obesity, by and large, is not because people just have to supersize and really want that milkshake. It's because calories in this country are very cheap. Nutrition is expensive. And the the majority of low-income people simply cannot afford or reach or access the food that would keep them well. And therefore, we have a very expensive problem that we're all paying for. So if you have concerns in any of these areas, think back to food and how that touches on all of it and actually starts. It's the root of it. How did, how did you find your voice? I think my parents would tell you I always had it. <laughs> I was supposed to go to law school, and I knew I didn't really want to be a lawyer, and I knew that storytelling was my thing. I really loved it. I'm actually a fiction filmmaker, believe it or not, who veered into documentary for this project. And I just was always writing stories from the youngest age, and the natural extension of that for me was to tell the stories about the issues I think that most matter in our society today and to, to speak on behalf of people who may not have a voice 
but are no less worthy of being heard. I think some women want to find their voice, but they're afraid of how guys in their life may react. And so I'm wondering, what do you say to them? I think that the, the best of the bunch are into it, that the really good ones dig it. And I say that out of experience because the person I'm with makes me more myself and encourages me to be even more out there. Um, maybe not all the time, maybe not when it's about, you know, taking out the garbage, but at the end of the day, that the person who encourages you to be your most authentic self is the person for you. And anyone who's offended by you reaching for your most authentic self, that's a, that's a big red flag. Kick them out the door. Love it. How have you incre handled your increasing public profile? I didn't know I had an increasing public profile. I don't think I've handled anything other than I wake up in the morning, I get my kids to school, worry like every parent, are they getting the right nutrition? Are they doing okay? Uh, my husband and I struggle to find our date nights and we, we, uh, we do it just like everybody else. So to be honest with you, I don't think about us in a public sense. We're we're just another family like every other family out there trying to, and along with the work we're doing, we're trying to do something meaningful because we recognize Tom especially is very lucky, has a platform, and people will listen to him. And with that, we understand that we can't let that go to waste, nor can we take it for granted. I've heard about a lot of challenges facing female filmmakers not being able to get enough funding or opportunities. Did you ever encounter that? And yep. So, so how'd you deal with it? I pivoted and made a documentary. <laughs> to be honest with you, there is uh, everything you've heard and read about sexism in my industry is 100% there. What I think, uh, first of all, I've always had some very powerful male and female champions who go by talent, not by gender, and that has been encouraging. Specifically, some men who have said, keep at it, kid. You got what it takes. And I I think that was very useful for me. But ultimately, yeah, it's not just the gender, it's gender plus age. So I think in my 20s, there were loads of opportunities because it's really a youth-driven profession. But the vast number of people who aren't, women who aren't working in film are women who are in their middle years and have some success under their belt but can't keep getting hired because everyone's chasing either the super experienced man who's had so many opportunities that he's got a huge resume or the hot new young thing. And so there's a lot of really amazing women languishing. For me, I'm very lucky. As I mentioned, I'm a fiction filmmaker and I can write. So I'm always writing and I'm writing scripts. I'm able to create product for myself. That's helpful. But the other piece of me is an activist and attracted to issues of social justice and I'm able to put my energy into, in this case, a documentary film and push for it to have impact. So that also sustains me. I'm happy to say that the industry is attempting to do better. Any advice for those women who fall into that category? Don't give up hope. Stay at it. Nevertheless, she persisted. I think at the end of the day, those of us who refuse to be silenced and say, you know, I have something important to say, I represent people whose voices need to be heard. And we are always capable as women of creating opportunities for ourselves. We're ingenious and we're imaginative, we're inventive. Just about every success I've had is something I've generated for myself on my own, which is not to say I haven't had help and not to say that I haven't been privileged and lucky. I have. But I would say give up and you're playing right into their hands. Coming up on this special episode of Secrets of Wealthy Women, we'll also hear from Lori's husband, celebrity chef Tom Colicchio, who spoke about the importance of family, food, and giving. ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't can change the world of work. 
From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. The Future of Everything from the Wall Street Journal. All new episodes this fall on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and NPR One. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. Celebrity chef Tom Colicchio, best known from Bravo TV's Top Chef, also spoke at Morgan Stanley's Feed Your Passion event. He spoke about being married to a powerful woman and giving back as a family. So what's happening with food policy action right now? What are you working on? We had about 20 chefs up on the hill meeting our members of Congress, and we still have people, 42 million Americans that are struggling to feed themselves and their families. And so we were there just trying to get our leaders to look at the problem of hunger a little differently, as opposed to looking at programs as a handout, really looking at it as a way up, a way for people to actually find the nutrition that they need until they get back on their feet. But also, you know, just making sure that we point out that majority of, of families have at least one family member working. So we're talking about people who are working and still struggle to put food on the table, military families that are struggling to feed themselves, seniors who have to make choices between medicine and food, people with disabilities. And so kind of just move the conversation away from people who are looking for a handout and working assistant to people who are really looking to enter, you know, back into the workforce, but need that, that, that help. What inspires you to get back? My family you know, growing up, my mother used to give my father a hard time. My, my father was a correction officer in the county jail. My mother ran a school cafeteria. But my dad would show up for everything. And he would show up for all these events. And my mother would always say, you know, charity starts at home. you got to spend more time at home. And he was like, well, no, you know, we're okay at home. And I, I, I just feel, you know, I need to be part of my community. And, and my mother wasn't being mean-spirited about it, but it always stuck with me. And, and not only supporting various charities with money, but really to, to lend my voice to a, to a cause, which is, I think is even, even more powerful right now I, because of TV. I have a pretty pretty good sized platform. If I have that platform and reach, that I should use it for something something good. You mentioned your parents, and it sounds like you pretty middle class or upper middle class. I would say lower middle class. Lower middle class <laughs> background. How have we talk a lot about wealth on the show? So how have you been able to handle the wealth and the success you've achieved? That's that's a really good question. No, I I, I would say lower middle class. When I grew up uh, sharing a bedroom with my two brothers, and I wasn't groomed for success. My parents wanted us to get an education and stuff like that, but we were never really groomed for for success. And so I didn't grow up in that world. And so I was lucky. My first chef's job in a restaurant in New York was a restaurant called Mondrian. And it was owned by a group of investors that were all, all worked at Morgan Stanley. And a gentleman by the name of Robert Scott, who is still with me as a partner, definitely helped me out when it came to just not only understanding you know my personal finances, but really looking at our business as a business. Even going back to the early Gramercy Tavern days where he was an investor, uh, along with Danny Meyer, but really getting both Danny and I to focus on the business as opposed to just being creative. What was the biggest business lesson you had to learn? You know, Mondrian was, a, was a, a bit of a failure. Now, for me, 26 years old, I was a chef there. I got three stars in New York Times, so it was a huge success for me. The underlying business deal was not a very good deal. The rent was too high. I mean, back then, we had about 80 seats in the restaurant, a private dining room that held about 30. We were paying about $36,000 a month in rent. Traversy Tavern, on the other hand, much bigger restaurant, we were paying $9,000 a month in rent. So to me, that showed that the underlying business deal was really, really important. It, it gives you the ability to, to run your business and do, you know, take more risk and be creative because you have a, a pretty good, you know, a lease that is affordable and it gives you the ability to do more. What so that was, that was one of the, that was a failure was the first lesson. It's always a good one. Yeah. Uh, what about personal finance? What did you look back, you know, if you look back and could tell your 30-year-old self, what would you tell Boy, them? Boy, you know, someone told me a long time ago, you got to pay yourself for the future first. And so every, every paycheck that you get, even if it's $10, pay the future first and then live off the rest of it. And I, I wish I had listened then, you know, 30 years ago. 
You know, you, you, you start to, to make more money as, as you get older and, and opportunities come your way, and you're still not ready for that. But recently, I looked at life insurance and trust and things like that just to help manage uh, uh, my finances. Because I'm, you know, the problem is I'm, I'm very busy. I don't have time to sit down and look at my finances. So it really helps to find people that you trust who can point you in the right direction. Indeed. Mm -hmm. So our podcast is really focused on women and wealthy women, successful women. And we know you're married to a very confident, successful woman mm -hmm. who isn't afraid to speak her mind. No, so not at all. <laughs> wondering how that's impacted you and what you've learned from that. You know, it, it's great. I think strong men, strong women make strong men. <laughs> She's no pushover. And it's great. We have a real partnership. And whether it's making a film together or whether it's her making my, uh, you know, a lot of what I do around advocacy. I'm a terrible writer. She's a writer. So anything that you see that I've written, most likely she's, she's done it. And so, but we worked, we worked together and, and she has strengths. I have strengths and we both have weaknesses, but we managed to work together and, and hopefully compensate for some of those weaknesses. It, you know, it keeps us, keeps us together. I mean, she speaks her mind and says she's probably smarter than I am. So I listen to her. <laughs> Time now for your secrets. My name is Lori Silverbush. I'm a filmmaker. My money secret is, no matter how wealthy you are, raise your kids as if they're solidly middle class. The most successful families are the ones who pretend they're not wealthy and figure out how to earn the things they want. My name is Tom Colicchio, chef and owner of Crafted Hospitality, and my money secret, take a little portion of your paycheck and put it away. And don't touch it. Be sure to check back for future episodes featuring billionaire Suki Novogratz and Birchbox co-founder Katya Beecham. Subscribe to and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women. This message comes from Viking committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.